today we're especially honored to have, I just, we just affectionately call him Pastor Choco, Choco de Jesus, uh, who is the general, he is the general treasurer of the Assemblies of God. He works next door at the national office as one of the executive officers. Before that, he was pastor in Chicago for nearly 20 years of New Life Covenant Church where he built one of the largest uh, Assemblies of God churches in our country and really made a huge impact in that city. And, uh, and it was about eight years ago that Time Magazine named uh, Pastor Choco one of the 100 most influential uh, people in the world. That was through his influence in the evangelical community and in the Latino community, and we're so grateful for him. I, I just personally have just loved friendship with Pastor Choco. I've known and admired him from a distance. And now that he lives in Springfield, I, I am so grateful for a growing friendship, which means the world to me. And I'm so grateful you would come. In the back, we have his book on sale at the book table, Love Them Anyway, Finding Hope in a Divided World gone crazy. You want to read this book. And thank you, Pastor Choco. You're going to hear a marvelous message from God's Word. Let's welcome Choco de Jesus. God bless you. Bless the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The God that we serve is alive and well. He's not dead. I don't care what you hear on CNN or Fox News. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. People are getting saved around this country. People are getting baptized. And I'm excited to be a part of what God is doing here in Springfield, here at Central. So I want to just thank Pastor Bradford and Sandy for receiving Elizabeth and I uh, when we came from Chicago to Springfield. We left Chicago to Springfield. Pizza. No pizza. And uh, your pastors have received us well. The entire church has received us well. You have welcomed us. In the absence of my three children and my five grandchildren, we feel at home here at Centro. So thank you. Let's give it up to our pastor and his lovely wife and the entire pastoral staff. We enjoy connecting with you all. Elizabeth enjoys connecting with the women's ministry here and the worship team with Pastor Cha Josh and and when you don't see us, it's because we're somewhere around the country visiting AG churches. But boy, we love to be here. I told Pastor that this is my home church when I'm in Central or I'm in Springfield, Missouri. I want to thank our general superintendent, uh, Doug Clay, and the entire staff in that building that also has received us well. And some of them are here today. So thank you for being friends. I want to thank those that are part of the racket. I'm part of a racquetball group of people at the YMCA and uh, really have come to know these guys in the last year. I've invited some of them to be here today, and they're here today. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of that club, if you will, uh, to play racquetball. And then my dentist and uh, his team are here, and so we praise the Lord. I'm always inviting people to come to church. We gotta be proclaimers. He doesn't save us so that we can sit 30 years on a bench and do nothing. He saves us so that we can proclaim the gospel. And so we, we praise the Lord for that. Many of you know my wife Elizabeth, but let me show you a picture of my wife Elizabeth. She's part of the worship team here. I've been married to her 33 years to the glory of God. And uh, when she, I, tell, I told the first service, by the way, I love the last service. 
And here's why. Because there's not another one after this. <laughs> Which means, back in Chicago, when I was pastor in Chicago, I used to preach five services. And so, I only did one today, this morning. This is the second one. So if you do the math, in each sermon back in Chicago is 30 minutes. I have two hours and a half in me, where I already gave 30 minutes to the first service. <laughs> oh, you're getting it now. You're getting it. Some of you are like, oh boy, this is going to be like 1 o'clock by the time we get out of here. No, we'll let you out of here early. By 2, for sure, no problem. <laughs> but this is my wife, Elizabeth, 33 years, and her and I were involved in church there. She was part of the Missionet program. I was part of the Royal Ranger program back in Chicago, and graduated as a, she graduated as a star and worship leader for over 30 years, led the ministry there under her father's leadership, and then our leadership in the year 2000, and a great teacher, loves the Lord, loves to pray, a praying woman. I am where I'm at today because of her. That's a reality, seriously, there's no smoke here. Elizabeth just continues to pray for me and pray for what God is doing in our family. So I, I bless the Lord for her ministry and that he gave her to me. So I praise the Lord for that. Um, here's my three children. Let me show you a picture of my kids. This is my tribe. These are my three kids. This is Alex to the left and Jesenia to the right. They're licensed ministers with the Assemblies of God. And then my son who's towards my left and his wife. And so all my kids are married and they're out of the house. Glory to God. <laughs> I'm not this Hispanic father that wants their kids to stay. No, you got to go. You got to go so I can have my girlfriend back. Amen. And so any empty nesters here? Any empty nesters? Yes. It's from the Lord. I'm telling you. It's from the Lord. Hey, let me show you my, uh, my five grandchildren. This is our Christmas picture that we took. They were clueless. Look at them. I told the photographer, for the love of God, take the picture. Yeah. Let me show you. Let me show you Charlie Grace. Uh, this is Charlie Grace. She's five years old. She's the oldest of the five. And uh, Charlie loves to sing, loves to dance for Jesus. And uh, I told the first service that, you know, my mother, Puerto Rican, I said to my mother, I said, Mommy, I have my first grandchild. My mother says, well, what's her name? I said, Charlie. She said, Charlie. Isn't that a boy's name? I said, Mommy, today the names are interchangeable. You got to move on. You got to move on, Mom. You got to move on. <laughs> Let me show you a picture of Charlie in Chicago. During 2020, during the riots in Chicago, I've taught my children in the church I pastored there that we must engage culture. Come on now. We cannot be afraid of culture. I told the New York Times when they asked me about this cancel culture. By the way, if cancel culture is watching... Let me just tell you, you cannot cancel what you did not create. And you did not create the church of Jesus Christ, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church. I told the New York Times, for 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ and culture have always been at odds. And we will continue to be at odds. And that the church was never called to accommodate culture. We were called to speak into culture, engage it with truth and love. And this is what Charlie's doing. She's feeding police officers during the riots. This is what we taught our daughter, and she's teaching her daughter how to engage culture. All right, let me show you a picture of my next granddaughter. This is Reagan. Yeah. Hey, pray for me. 
Reagan, she is white, white, with like hazel eyes. I'm brown, with brown eyes. I told my daughter, if I ever take her to Walmart or Target, I need her birth certificate. <laughs> They're gonna think I stole this girl. They're like, aisle number seven, you got somebody there. But this is Reagan, so I go to my mother. I said, mommy, I got my second granddaughter. She says, what's her name? I said, Reagan. She said, Reagan, isn't that a president's name? I said, mommy, for the love of God, you gotta move forward, you gotta move forward. <laughs> Let me show you uh, my first grandson. This is uh, James Anthony. James Anthony's two years old. He's gonna be a piano player and a golfer like his father, declaring that over his life. Let me show you Dano. Donovan, this is Reagan's little brother, and uh, he's gonna be a mountain climber. He just climbs over everything, he's two years old. So I just, hey listen boy, you're gonna climb, I declare and decree over your life, you're gonna climb mountains in Jesus' name. And uh, let me show you Alea, the last grandchild. This is Alea Skye, and uh, she's just turned one years old. So how many grandparents we have in the house? It's a beautiful ministry. I've been telling folks across the country, God should have given us the grandchildren first <laughs> and kept the kids. <laughs> hey, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm old-fashioned like that. We're so glad you're in church today. If someone brought you to church today, you should thank them. They didn't bring you to a funeral. They brought you to a church. And maybe they forced you. You should turn to them and say, thanks for bringing me to church. You're in the presence of God. And things happen in the presence of God. You have no idea what can happen when you walk into his presence. So thank them. And if you're new visiting us here at Central, welcome. If you're looking for a church where to establish yourself, stop looking. Get rooted. Get rooted quickly. It is not healthy not to be rooted. You have no fruit. Come on now. And pastor said, hey, act like if it's your church. So I'm going to come down and slap some of y'all. That's what I used to do in Chicago. <laughs> By the way, you guys collect the offering too nice here in Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> You're too nice. Back in Chicago, I had scanners in the back. I'd be like, we're scanning people's credit cards. We ain't playing around. People need help. They need motivation. You guys are too nice. If you want to give, give. No, come on, give right now. In Jesus' name. I love the last service. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. If you have your Bibles open with me, Mark 12, 28, verse 31. This is my Bible from 1989 when I got ordained. I always encourage my church back in Chicago, you need a physical Bible. You don't need to plug this in. It's already got juice. Your cell phone's great, your iPads are great, but that's gonna, you need electricity for that. Mark chapter 12, verse 28, says this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is here, O central. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
and with all your in other words that you're all in that there is no ambiguity in a drifting culture you know you're a child of the living God and that your father is not dead he's alive and well I spoke to him this morning by the way and he wants me to tell you that he loves you that you are all in with Jesus in this craziness of this world verse 31 the second is this you shall love your OMG you shall love me and I shall love you you shall love your neighbors as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these father in the name of Jesus we come before you we realize that when we pray we speak to you and when we open up the Bible you speak to us so speak to us have your way come on just tell them church have your way have your way in my family have your way in my marriage my business my finance have your way be the author and the finisher of my faith in Jesus name and everybody say amen amen, amen. you may be seated I want to take a poll. I didn't do that in the first service. How many of you here have never heard of me before? Raise your hand. Oh, Father, forgive them, for they do not know. <laughs> All right, so quite a few of you are, and I don't want to be presumptuous. Uh, I was not raised AG. I was not raised in the local church. I was raised in the hood, Chicago, with no father. Uh, my father abandoned my mom with six children in Chicago. I'm the youngest of six Five brothers, one sister. I am like Gideon, the youngest of my tribe. And there I lived in the city of Chicago with no father, no Jesus, destined for destruction, failed third grade, went to seven grammar schools. My mother was a gypsy. She was going all over because of gang. My brother was a leader of a gang in Chicago. So this is my story. Everybody has a story. I got it. But in order for you to understand who's in front of you today, and to know that God is in the business of using unusual people. The Bible is full of people that were unusual, and yet God used them. And then according to sociologists, I am a status inconsistency. I should not be here at Central. I should not be the general treasurer. I should not be preaching to you all. I should be dead in Chicago. I should be in prison in Chicago. But God... Come on, somebody. When God gets in the mix, when God marks you, when God calls you, there is no demon in hell that can remove the hand of God from your life. So in the 1970s, in order to give you some context, I didn't do it to the first service because I love the last service. In the 1970s, there was a riot that broke out in the city of Chicago between the Puerto Ricans and the police department. One white police officer shot two Puerto Ricans in the back during the Puerto Rican festival. That created an uproar. That created a, 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 a riot, if you will. And it galvanized the Puerto Rican gangs, the Latin kings, and the Latin disciples, and the cobras. It galvanized them. And for three days, there was rioting in the city of Chicago because of injustice and because of what happened. What you experienced in 2020, I lived it in Chicago. The burning of buildings and robbing of stores and paddy wagons upside down and police cars upside down. All this was happening as a young boy. I was watching this with no father, 
no Jesus, no future. I remember on Division Street, on Division Street in Chicago, it's the main artery of the Puerto Rican community. It's a street. And in, on Division Street, there was a grocery store, and people were robbing. They were stealing goods, and they were taking cases, and so forth and so forth. The windows were shattered. And I remember as I was watching this, I said to myself, I'm going to go in here and steal me a bottle of Coca-Cola. Now, people were stealing cases. I wanted a bottle. I said to myself, in the event that I get caught, how much time can I do in prison for a bottle of Coca-Cola? So here it was. Follow me. I remember walking into the store. People were running in and out with cases. I walked over the threshold of the door. The windows were shattered. I went to the refrigerator of the store. I opened up the refrigerator, took a bottle of Coca-Cola, closed the refrigerator. I may be a thief, but I have a conscience of energy. I closed the refrigerator. <laughs> My mother taught me well. Come on now. I walked out to the street of Division Street, and then I hear a voice put it back. Now, today I know it was the Holy Spirit. I'm 57 today. But back then, I didn't know who it was. Put it back. Turned around. Cross over the threshold. Open the refrigerator door. Close the refrigerator. Went on to the visitor street. Thinking to myself, I started thinking to myself, who am I? Which reminds me of the prison letters of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1945. Who am I? Fast forward a little bit. The mayor of the city of Chicago hires hundreds of young people to clean the streets of Chicago during 1977. I was one of those young people. I get hired. They send me to my assignment. My assignment was 1665 North Mozart in Chicago. I showed up on a Monday morning, 1665 North Mozart in Chicago, and I looked at the address, and it was a church, Palestine Christian Temple of the Assemblies of God. I walked into the church and I said, my name is Wilfredo de Jesus. I'm here to clean streets. He says, oh, you're not going to do streets. You're going to do VBS. <laughs> I said, VB what? <laughs> Vocational Bible School. I said, do I get a check? Because my mother's a single mom and I want to help her. My supervisor said, you're going to get a check. Every day, y'all, the young people of the church were praying at the altar. I was sitting in the back. June passed by. July passed by. It began to resonate with me, the young people praying, 15 years old, 17 years old, 19 years old, praying on their knees. I remember August came, and I went to the supervisor, and I said, hey, what are these young people doing? He says, they're praying to Jesus, Wilfredo. Do you know Jesus? I said, no. He says, would you like to meet him? I said, I would. Where is he at? I'd like to talk to him. Cause the young people, young people, get in a circle. Wilfredo would like to meet Jesus. So they get in a circle. And then he looked at me and he said, Wilfredo, get in the middle of the circle. I said, no. <laughs> Let me help you out here in Springfield, Missouri. In the hood, you never get in the middle of anything. This is called a beatdown. I'm trying to help you out. I said, no. He says, close your eyes. I said, I ain't closing my eyes. He says, uh, let's pray. The young people started praying. So I closed one eye. I closed another eye. And I said the most simplest prayer in 1977. I said, God, if you exist, change my life. I felt like something happened to me. I felt like this outer body experience. I couldn't explain it to you at 14. But I'm thinking to myself, what is going on up in here? Up in here. 
I started attending the local church, Palestine Christian Temple of the Assemblies of God. I started going there every Sunday, every Tuesday, every, back in the day, there was like five-day services. How many remember those days? Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then Sunday night. My godmother, who dedicated me at the Catholic Church, said, uh, I hear that you're going to that Christian church. If you don't stop doing that, I'm going to disown you as your godmother. I said, let me think about it for a minute. I said, all these years, you've never gave me a Christmas gift, and Jesus gives me eternal life. I'm sticking with Jesus. <laughs> 20 years later, you should know that she repented for those comments and realized what God was doing in my life. I started attending the church. The church was going on in a youth convention in November. It was in Lansing, Michigan. The youth pastor comes to me and says, Choco, we're going to go to uh, Lansing, Michigan, a youth convention. Why don't you come? We get in the van. We head towards Lansing, Michigan. The preacher's preaching. He makes an altar call. I got saved again. I got saved many times in my life. <laughs> I was sitting down. I was kneeling down at the altar of the hotel. When a lady comes to me, she puts her hands on my shoulder. She starts speaking in tongues. It's not Spanish because I'm Puerto Rican. I've never heard these tongues before. Then she prophesied. And she said these words. I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Not today at 57. I know that's the covenant that got me with Abraham. But at 14, I'm thinking this is pretty cool. I get up from the altar 15 minutes later. I walked into the elevator of the hotel, thinking about what the lady said at the altar. When I walked into the elevator, the doors were about to close, and the gentleman in the suit walked in. When the doors closed, he turns towards me, and he says, Have you not heard? I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Now I'm thinking, is the husband of the lady that was at the altar? I'm not sure. This is freaking me out. Little did I know that God was marking me. That essentially God was saying, Choco, I'm setting some parameters for you. I'm giving you some guardrails for your life. Although your father abandoned you and your mother didn't have a plan for you, I have a plan for you, declares the Lord. It's with that mandate, it's with that word. That's why in 2020, it's imperative, it's important that you have a word from God. Because with all the craziness in America, you need a word. And that you can say, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, nor famine, nor nakedness, no sword, no COVID can separate me from the love of Christ. It's with that word I started attending the local church. I started getting involved in Sunday school, Royal Ranger program. At the age of 18 years old, the pastor came to me. He said, Choco, I want you to become the Sunday school teacher for the youth ministry. I said, Sunday school teacher? You want me to be a leader? So I got my black jacket, my skinny tie. Listen, y'all, and I was Sunday school teacher for the youth ministry of the local church. Sure, there was only five young people, but so what? It's perspective. With every elevation, there's a new revelation that God has for you. A few years pass by, the pastor comes to me and says, Choco, I want you to become the Sunday school superintendent. I said, Sunday school superintendent? That's what the lady said. And the guy in the elevator, I got my jacket and my skinny tie, and I was Sunday school superintendent. 
for Palestine Christian Temple of the Assemblies of God. Sure, there were 68 people in the entire church, but so what? I was a leader. A few years passed by, I married Elizabeth, the PK, she's a pastor's daughter. I married Elizabeth, my father-in-law says, Choco, take me to our district convention, like an armor bearer. So I get in a car and I'm driving my father-in-law. He's over here on the driver's seat, come with me. My father-in-law says, hey Choco, they're gonna be voting on DCAP. Back in the day it was called DCAP, today it was called it's DYD. I said, what's a DCAP? He says, you know, you gotta do camps and convention. I said, no, no, I am Sunday school superintendent. I don't want to become a decaf. He says, go ahead, put your name. There's going to be other young people. I said, no. We get to the hotel. We get to the event service. And the first guy grabs the mic. They introduce him. And he says, my name is so-and-so. And I graduate from Evangel with youth ministry from bachelor's degree. Yada, yada, yada. And that guy, my name is so-and-so. I went to CBC College. Yada, 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 yada. Give me the mic. My name is Choco and I'm Sunday school superintendent. I'm like, the devil, I don't know why I'm doing this. And would you believe it, that the ministers of that district voted me to become the decap of 11 states? I picked up the phone, I called my wife, I said, babe, I am the new decap. She says, what's the decap? I said, I don't know, I just walked through the door. <laughs> and so with that mandate, for eight years, eight years, I traveled from Chicago to Wichita, Kansas, to Lincoln, Nebraska, to Dakotas, because that's what the lady said, and the guy in the elevator. I took it serious, the calling of God upon my life. A few years passed by, now the year's 1998. My father-in-law comes to me and says, Choco, I'm about to retire, and I want you to become the pastor. I said, no. I said, no, 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 no. I just took the test to become a state trooper. I want a gun. By the way, by the way, in Chicago, I never had not one gun. I come to Springfield, Missouri, I got two guns now. <laughs> Pray for me. My daughter's like, what did you do with my father? I said, no, I'm gonna become a state trooper. He said, pray about it. I said, I ain't praying about it. Furthermore, Elizabeth does not want me to become a pastor's wife, a pastor, and she doesn't want to become a pastor's wife. 1909 comes, I felt convicted. I said, okay, I'll leave my name run under one condition. All 68 people have to vote for me. If one person says no, this ain't the will of God. I was doing the Gideon deal. <laughs> so July 9th, 2000, come with me to Chicago. I'm sitting in the front with my wife, Elizabeth. I said a prayer. It wasn't spiritual, but I did it in Jesus' name. <laughs> I said, God, if you love me, Please give me one person that says no in Jesus' name. Father-in-law comes back. They collected the ballots. They said, Choco, congratulations. You're the pastor of this new church. It's with that mandate. I remember what the lady said and the guy in the elevator. And I knew since I was raised in the hood and I was not raised in the church that this gospel that you and I believe cannot be in these four walls. We must go out. We must take the gospel to the lost world. Listen, y'all, I started fishing. I started throwing the net. I started bringing in black fish, white fish, Asian fish, gay fish, straight fish. And I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, hey, oh, you told me to fish. You clean them out. 
I started loving people that nobody wanted. People who could never pay tithings. We might have a big church in Chicago, but the average income was like $29,000 a year. Poor people, but they love Jesus. That the church of Jesus Christ is mandated. Our mandate here at Central Assembly has not changed. No matter the craziness in the world that we're living in today, our mandate is the same. That we're to love people. And when I say we should love people, I'm not saying we should capitulate our convictions. What I'm saying is that we should tap into the currency of heaven, which is love. Not Bible study, not prayer, not fasting. Those are good disciplines and you should have them. But currency of heaven is love. And it answers, look at me, it answers the prevailing question. What should we do, Pastor Choco, with this craziness, with the political unrest and the social tendency? What should we do? We love them. We affirm their humanity, not affirm their lifestyle. We're the church. We're the greatest institution on planet Earth. Our mandate has not changed. I want to tell you about a group of believers this morning. They saw that their culture was collapsing around them, that unbelievers were taking their rights away, and they became very angry, and they wanted God to provide a solution for them. I'm not talking about modern-day America. I'm talking about the conquered Jews living in Babylon. Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonian army, and many of the people had been led into exile, and many false prophets began to raise their voices to say God was going to get them out of there in a very short time. So there was no need to learn how to live there. Yet the prophet Jeremiah comes into the scene, true man of God, and said, hey, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, get acclimated, build gardens, get married, Have children. Create your businesses. You're going to be there for 70 years. Essentially what Jeremiah was telling the people, and essentially what I'm telling you all while we live here in Springfield, Missouri, that while we're living in America that has drifted, that we need a kingdom mindset. I got news for some of you all. You're not Americans. We're not Americans. We're Christians. When I got saved at 14, I put down the Puerto Rican flag, and I put down the American flag, and I only picked up the flag of righteousness. I represent the kingdom of heaven here on earth. You represent the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And while we're facing this drifting culture and the craziness that's happening, God wants you and I to have a kingdom mindset. And that we're to legislate his love here on earth. Too many Christians, look at me, too many Christians value their position on issues more than God's command to operate in love. Surely when I put this down, everybody's going to say amen. You don't represent the donkey or the elephant. You represent the lion from the tribe of Judah. That's who we represent. And the Lord says to you today, I know the plans I have for you. 
in this craziness here in Springfield, Missouri, or Chicago, or wherever you're watching. He says, I have a plan for you, and I want you to legislate my love here on earth. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. America does not have a hand problem. We have a heart problem. There needs to be a metamorphosis. There needs to be a changing of, and only Jesus can do that. It answers the prevailing question. What do we do? We love them. It's the currency of heaven. You represent the kingdom of God. I told the first service, and by the way, I love the last service. <laughs> Pastor said I can come down in the first service, so I figured I can come down. So I went to Burkina Faso, Africa, West Africa. I went there with a delegation from Chicago when I was pastoring there in Chicago. And I'm at the hotel. The palace sent some people to come and get me. They said, hey, Choco, the king of the Mode tribe would like to meet you. I said, that's awesome. I've never met a king before. Presidents, governors, mayors. So I get in the car with them. They take me to the palace. I'm excited about seeing the king of the Mode tribe. We get there. Get off the car. They said, now, before we go in, there's protocols. I said, what's the protocol? Whatever you do, don't look at the king. I said, listen, I'm from Chicago. You don't have to tell me twice. I get this. I don't want no drama in Africa. There's another chair. He says, there's another protocol. There's going to be three chairs. Make sure you sit in your chair. I said, I got it. I walked in. Come with me to the palace. I walked in. I sat in my chair. The translator came. He sat in his chair. Music started playing. The king is coming of the Mode tribe. I could see him. Look at me, church. I could see him from the corner of my eye. He's dressed sharp. White, gold trimming, black and ground crown. I'm telling to myself, I got to ask him where he got this outfit. It's sharp. <laughs> he comes, boom, boom, boom. Sits on the chair. Music stops. And then something came inside of me. And I said to the translator, tell your king that I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. And I represent the king of kings and the lord of lords. The translator looked at me and he says, you want me to tell the king what? <laughs> tell your king that I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. I represent the king of kings and the lord of lords. Translator turned, turned to the king, and his mode language said, Pastor Choco said that he's an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. And he represents the king of kings and the lord of lords. I'm looking at the translator. What the king does next, y'all. He breaks protocol. He gets up, starts walking towards me. Inside of me, I'm saying, you're dead. <laughs> Why insult the king in his own palace, Choco? Just shut up. Why do you have to say all these things? I know, I know. I didn't even say goodbye to my wife. This is bad. He's going to kill me. <laughs> he comes towards me, puts his hands on my shoulder, and in pure English, y'all, said, would you pray for me in Jesus' name? Pray for me in Jesus' name. You cannot allow Hollywood to tell you who you are. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we are all ambassadors of the kingdom of God here in Springfield, Missouri. That's who we are. There is no ambiguity. There is no identity crisis. We're followers of Jesus. And it's with that mandate that we legislate his love here on earth. Love is from God. 
Because God is love. And it's the greatest desire of mankind, watch this, is to love and to be loved. Love, look at me, love demands. Love demands more of you and me than we often want to give. It's easy to love a lovable person. It's easy. But what about them? What about your brother-in-law? What about your brother? What about your sister? What about your, your dad? What about those who dissed you on Facebook or backstabbed you, who try to break your family? What about them? What about the person of a political party or culture or social class? What about people who don't behave like you, don't believe like you? And if we're honest this morning, they make us uncomfortable. But it's that love in this context of Mark 12 that we read that Jesus broke boundaries to love the people that many despised. His love transformed people. His love saw past disagreement, past indifferences, past offenses. Loving them like this, Pastor Choco, that's hard. Are you telling me I need to love my enemy? I'm not telling you to do that. That's what the Bible says. Love is from God. And what America needs, a scared world needs a fearless church. What Springfield needs is a fearless church that says, I'm going to love you, and there's nothing you could do about it. And that's what you got to tell your enemies. That's what you got to tell people you haven't spoken to or the Dems in your life. I love you, and there's nothing you could do about it. And he loves you. And there's nothing you can do about that. He loves you. That's why you're here today. He preserved your life so that you can hear the message. Come on, let's not kid ourselves. It wasn't the nails who held them on the cross. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was his love for humanity that he told his father, I'm going down there to that pale blue dot called Earth. I remember when I started pastoring the church, they arrested 600 women for prostitution. And uh, I've always believed as a pastor that with revelation comes responsibility. When God reveals to you the condition of Springfield, Missouri, yes, pray, but we must act. It's a good place to say amen. So I, I go to sleep, finding out from the commander of the 14th district that they arrested 600 women for prostitution, unduplicated. The next morning I wake up and I felt like my father said, Choco, buy a farm. A farm. Go to my wife, Elizabeth. I said, babe, I think God wants us to buy a farm. She says, what do you know about farming? I said, nothing, but I do know about obedience. Understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. Many of us in America, Christians, are not experiencing the more of God because we're trying to understand God. Just walk around the walls of Jericho. Just do it, and the walls will come down. Just dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River if you want a miracle. Just do it. 
So I remember getting one of our female pastors, and I said, hey, come to my office. She came to my office, and I said, listen, I want you to go find me five prostitutes and ask them how much they would charge me for one hour of service. She looked at me, and she said, Pastor Choco, you want me to do what? Go get me five women and ask them how much they would charge me. She goes, leaves my office, comes back with five women, African-American, Hispanic, mini skirts, they're all drugged up. They get out of her car, they lean on her car, and the female pastor, come with me, this is what happened. I'm over here, the female walks over here, the female pastor. She said, Pastor Jacob, the tall one, she's gonna charge you $50 an hour. The one next to her is 35, the other one's 40. I said, no problem. $225 for all five women. I said, no problem. I said, here's your $50. Here's your 35, here's your 40. Boom, boom, boom. We're good? One of the ladies says, uh, what do you want us to do? I said, I want you to follow me. And I know this is being watched and put in on Facebook and all that. My wife is with me the whole time. I don't want people to think Pastor Bradford brought a crazy preacher here today. I said, I want you to follow me, please. So they come. We take them inside the church in Chicago. And inside the church, we prepared a banquet with flowers and roses. And I remember pulling out the chair one by one. And I said, please sit. Please sit. I want to tell you about a man named Jesus who loves you dearly. You were not born a prostitute. Please sit. And one by one, they sat down. And we, for one hour, my wife led worship. And the young people did drama. And I preached about this love of a man named Jesus. That he loved them in their mess. So ladies, my time is up. I only paid your time for one hour. They stood up crying profusely and they said, preacher, no man has ever treated us this way. We don't want your money. Since that moment, we ended up buying a farm and 742 women have been rescued from prostitution and human trafficking. Love compels us to do something. Love moves us to do something. I mean, think about the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments deals with loving God, and the next six commandments deals with loving others. The laws of God help us to look upward and to reach outward. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God, central, God is love. And he says to you today, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Jeremiah 31.3. Everything God has done in my life and in your life was out of love. Everything he's done from Genesis to the book of Revelation is born out of love. Watch this, watch this. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Whoever does not love your enemy, your brother, 
Everybody has a them. Everybody. In chapter 3 in my book, the them was my son. Let me share a little bit of my story with you. It was not always hunkadory as pastors of the church growing in Chicago, Elizabeth. My son was 16 years old, turning 17, when the Holy Spirit told me, look in his car. So I go to the garage. He's sleeping it's around 11, 11.30 thereabouts. I go to the car and I find weed, drugs. And like a father, you know, like any father or mother here, you're heartbroken. This kid is smoking weed. Take the stuff from the car. I go up to his room, turn on the light. It's around 11.30, 11.45. My son's name is Pito. I said, Pito, what's up, boy? What's up with this? And like any teenage kid, that's not mine. It's my friend's. I looked at him and said, Pito, the Holy Spirit told me it's yours. And if he told me, you're dead in the water. I said, you, I, you, I said boy, look at me. It's like midnight. I said, you think you're stronger than me? You think you're stronger than your father? You have no idea what you've done. I will knock on heaven's door on your behalf. And I will pray, God, this out of your life, boy. Your mother will fast and pray. You will never get me tired, Pito. You have no idea. I said, look at me, boy. Look at me. Nothing you do, nothing you do can make me love you more or less. But you are in control how pleased I am with you. And I'm not pleased with you right now. I said, Pito, I will come every night. I will put oil over your doorpost. This is my room. This whole house is mine. And I will be praying. Your mother and I will be praying. And we will pray this out of you. Just know, you would never get me tired. It's like one o'clock in the morning. My wife was out in the lobby in the hallway of my house. I closed the door. I see Elizabeth praying. I said, babe, I'm tired. This is exhausting. We need to pray this out of this boy. Praise God, he's 27 years old now, married, have a kid. But he was my them. Everybody here this morning, you have a them. That if you're honest, they make you uncomfortable. And yet the Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength. And you shall love your enemies. Well, Pastor Choco, how do we do this? You don't do it by yourself. You do it with the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5 says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You see, if I try to love my son, my love is conditional. It's perverted. But his love is unconditional. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. Love. Loving those who've done you wrong, that is godly. That's how the world would know. That's how the world would know. Let me finish here this morning. Today it's easy to find fault in people, but that's not the kingdom way. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love, not a kingdom of cancel culture. 
We're kingdom-minded people. And yet the divide in our culture is real. But God's love is also real. It's more real. His love can heal wounds. Look at me. His love can build bridges. He's calling you and I to become a conduit of his love, not a cul-de-sac. Are you with me? His love. That's why your love and my love can't do it. It's conditional. But boy, through the Holy Spirit, we can love these people who have done us wrong on Facebook, who talked about us. He loves you. In Luke chapter 15, there's a story, and with this I will end. There's a story of three parables in Luke 15. In each parable, if you read them independently, but I want to suggest to you all today that all three parables are connected. And it's a radical message of Luke 15. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost boy. But I want to suggest to you all that is the lost boys. What are you saying, Pastor Choco? That it's possible that you could be so religious and still be lost. I explain. One doesn't know it's lost. The other one knows it's lost. Shepherd leaves the 99, finds the sheep. What the scripture doesn't tell you and I is why is that one sheep lost? Maybe he's right now in the parking lot. Here in Central. Mad. Mad, Pastor. Didn't say hi to me. You know how sheep are. Maybe not here in Springfield, but in Chicago. Mad. Pastor Baffert didn't say hi to me. But the pastor, the sheep, the shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes after the one that's lost. And when he finds that is lost, he says, Rejoice with me. Because that which is lost is now found. And then he goes right into Jesus. Goes right into the second parable. The parable of the lost coin. Let me take a, let me take a survey. How many of you here, you've ever lost a wallet or a set of keys? Tell the truth. Shame the devil. How many have ever lost? Me too. So you can sympathize with the lady in Luke 15. I remember times in Chicago, I would scream, nobody move. Where are my keys? They're right here. But the lady, when she finds her coin, y'all, she says, rejoice. And she calls her friends on Facebook. Then Jesus gives the parable of the lost boy. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing, that the boy comes to the father and says, give me my share of inheritance. Newsflash. The only one who gets a share of inheritance is the older son, not the second child. And furthermore, the only time you get an inheritance is when your parents die. You inherit what they have. So when the boy in Luke 15 says, give me my share of inheritance, he's essentially saying to the father, hurry up and die. Or I wish you were dead. And the father in Luke 15, y'all, he's a picture of God. He loves the boy, even in his wicked ways, even in his mess. And the father gives in to the boy and gives him half. And the Bible says, and the boy squanders, and he's out there living the vida loca. It says wild living, but in Spanish, it says la vida loca. 
He's out there a while, and he splurges, and he drugs, and, and all sorts of things. But one day, he woke up looking at pigs. One of, the, one of my favorite verses is Luke 15, 17. And the boy came to his senses. He smelled the coffee. He says, I'm going back home. I'm going to go back home. Look at me. He says, I'm going back home. I'm going to go tell my father I'm a knucklehead, and I don't deserve to be your son. Call me a servant. See, that's what I'm going to do. So the boy gets up, and he starts preparing a speech. Papi, Papi, I'm a knucklehead. Oh, no, let me just start back up. He says, I wasted all your money. I don't have anything. And he, the boy is preparing the speech. And then Luke 15 says, and Jesus said, and the father, when he saw the boy, ran to him. Woo. <laughs> he said, what's the big deal? Oh, my word. Men in the first century don't run. Women run. Children run. But Jesus said, and the father, when he saw the boy, rent. Yeah. Mio! Love running towards mercy. My boy. And the boy's like this. Oh, hi, hi. The boy gives him a hug, and your father gives him a hug, and the boy's a little bit perplexed. He's like, oh, this is not the welcoming I expected. I have a speech. I'm a knucklehead, sorry. And the father said, boy, forget about that. Hey, give him a robe. Give him sandals. Give him a ring. My son who is dead is alive. And he throws a banquet. And he hires a marachi band. <laughs> Woo! There's a party going on here in Springfield. The older son comes in from the field. Smells the Smells the food. Here's the Marachi band. Stops a servant. Hey, hey, hey. What's going on up in here? Up in here. Servant tells the boy, the older son, the religious guy. What value is it that you have a cross around your neck, but you don't have Jesus in your heart? So what that you know John 3:16, but you don't know the author of the book. Hey, 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 what's going on? So servant like, you don't know? Know what? Your little brother, he's not dead. He's alive. And your father, he's throwing a banquet. And the servant kind of noticed the countenance of the older son. He goes back into the kitchen. Hey, bro, tell your father. Hey, bro, you got drama outside in the yard. Your older son, he's upset. Father says, don't worry about it, I got this. He goes out to the yard, mijo. Mijo, what's up? Come on in. What do you mean, what's up? All these years I've been in Central. All these years I've been paying my tithings. And you never kill a calf for me. And this wicked boy splurges your money. And the father's like, Mijo, everything I have is yours. I started thinking, as a reader of Luke 15, why is the guy upset? Why is he not rejoicing that his little brother is not dead? Yeah. Then I figured it out, y'all. I figured it out. Who do you think, who do you think is paying for the ring and the robe and the sandal and the banquet? Who do you think is paying for that? The older son. And he does not want to pay. 
so that his little brother would be reconciled with his father. Look at me. How is it possible that someone was looking for the sheep, someone was looking for the coin, but nobody was looking for the boy? And my father loves him, even in his wickedness. Nobody. It should have been the older son who told his father, hey, dad, I know my little brother is stubborn and he's a knucklehead, but no matter what it costs me, I'm going to go find him for you. I'll bring him back home. But he doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. But I got good news for Central. We do have an elder brother who told his father, hey, I know you love Choco in Chicago. I know he's been abandoned by his father at the age of eight. He failed his functional family, yada, yada. I know you love him. I'm going to go down there, and I know they're going to whip me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to crucify me. But I'm going to die for him because you love him. Would you stand with me for a moment? Think about it for a moment. He saves us. So so that we can become a picture of God's love. Each and every one of you here at the sound of my voice, you have an opportunity to express love to a them. So let's land this plane. My father abandoned me at eight. I'm 57. Do the math. 49 years without this man in my life. A few years ago, when I was pastoring in Chicago, We get a call. They're about to amputate my father's legs. He's in New Jersey. We have a family meeting. I'm the youngest of six. They said, hey, what do you think we should do? I said, I don't know. You guys are the oldest. What do you think we should do? So I fly him from Jersey to Chicago. Pick him up. Bring him to my house in Chicago. This man who abandoned my mother with six children in the worst park in the United States, changing his pants, his underclothes, cleaning his wounds. I have zero questions at this point. I'm a man. I'm already a father and a grandfather. I have zero questions, but I do want him to know Jesus. Clean, bandage his wounds to express love to this man. A year passes by, he gets healed. We send him back to Jersey because that's where he wants to go. We send him back to Jersey. A few weeks after we send him back, someone sent me a picture that I brought for you today. This is my father worshiping the Lord in a local church, AG Church in New Jersey. You can give, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love compels you to do things. And you're here, I didn't come for all of you all, and pastor asked me to preach today, but there are some of you here who have a them in your life, and that God is telling you, let it go. This week of Thanksgiving, be grateful for my love for you. Be a conduit.